Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, how's everybody doing today? You doing good? God bless you. So excited to be able to hang out with you today. And I'm praying that God does a great work in us, through us, and among us. To those of you joining here at our various locations, online, inside.tv, we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to be able to gather together, to learn together, and grow together. We've been in this series called Closed on Sunday. If you've been liking this sermon series, let me hear a whoop, whoop. It's for sure got the best intro music of any sermon series we've done in a long time. You get it stuck in your head. Uh, We got more fun stuff like that coming. We've been going through this sermon series called Closed on Sunday, and it has been transformative for our church. We're examining the foundational elements of what made the first church and what ultimately makes a church the church. And uh, it's not something that we do alone, but it's something that we do and that God designed for us to do in community. We've learned about baptism, scripture, authority, fellowship, communion, prayer. And today I want to look at another one of those foundational pieces of the church and what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christ follower. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2. You've heard this almost every single week. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The apostles were given gifts uh, from God to minister to the church and reach the lost. I entitled my message today, Made to Make a Difference. Uh, I remember like it was yesterday. My dad took me to my first Notre Dame football game. Oh, it was epic. I mean, we, I had seen the games on Saturday afternoons when my dad would come home from work. We'd turn on the television and we would watch him. I remember talking about Lou Holtz and Joe Montana and of course, Joe Theismann. Uh, fun fact, Joe Theismann's real last name, the way you're supposed to pronounce it, is Theismann. But the PR guy at Notre Dame said it would be better if he were to change the way he said his last name so it would rhyme with the Heisman Trophy. Uh, This was back when Jerome Bettis was the star running back, for those of you who are into the football game. This was before the cult classic uh, masterpiece, Rudy, was released. Oh, man, so good. I actually ended up getting a chance to meet Rudy. Uh, The sights, the smells. I remember walking out of the cafeteria and heading over to the bookstore and getting a green and blue football. And then my dad threw throwing passes while I ran routes out in the manicured lawns with touchdown Jesus looking down and giving his undoubted approval. A couple of years ago, I had the chance to go back to Notre Dame and I got to go on a tour of the facility and they took us down into the locker room and I actually got to put my hand on the placard that says, play like a champion today. Then they took us out to the tunnel, down the tunnel towards the field. Now they were doing some renovations. So they told us that we weren't allowed to get on the field. But then the uh, tour guides turned their back and started escorting everybody else back up the tunnel. And I took off at a sprint and I jumped up and I touched the crossbar, the goalpost. I had a metal wedding ring on, so I went ding. And I just, I felt like I needed to do that. That was important for me. Uh, Because my dream, I don't know about you, but my dream was never to hang out in the bleachers. My dream was always to be on the field. 
My dream was to be in the game. I never wanted the bleachers. I always wanted the ball. Our dreams were never, our, our dreams were to run out of the tunnel. We don't ever want to attend concerts, do we? That was never our dream. When I get older, I'm going to attend concerts. No, our dream was what? We wanted to play the instrument on stage. Uh, we, we never wanted to be, uh, to watch shows. We wanted to be on the show. Ask any kid and they'll tell you that they never want to watch cops. They want to be a cop. The only people who settle for watching a spaceship take off are people who deep down inside never wanted to watch spaceships take off. They wanted to be astronauts. However, over time, I don't know if this has happened to you, but it's definitely happened to me. Over time, dreams fade, expectations diminish, the crushing weight of reality sets in, and we resign ourselves to managing our time on the bench. Now, we're creative. Uh, we get blankets, seating pads. Don't lie, some of you saw these and like, you know, where do you get those? Those look comfy. I'm tired. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. These aren't, these aren't fun to sit on. You, you got to dress it up a little bit. Then maybe we save up some money. We convince the wife to get season tickets. So at least when we go to the game, we get to sit in the same spot. And then over time, we hope that we'll be able to upgrade and get closer and closer to the action. But we have given up the dream of ever being on the field. I believe the same reality is crushing and traumatizing the church and the mission of Jesus Christ today. Somehow we have settled for being spectators in the bleach instead of participators on the field. Satan dupes us into believing that something that the church is something you watch and observe instead of a living, breathing organism that you can join. And the sad truth is his false whispers turn into concrete lies that hold us back and paralyze us and reduce our impact. Today, what I wanna do is I wanna confront these lies that we've been believing. There are two types of people that I'm talking to today. Uh, you're either on the mission of reaching people or you are the mission, the people that God is trying to reach. There are many of you who are part of our red army of uh, uh, difference makers who serve in welcome ministries and I could not be more thankful for you. You just need to know this at all of our locations. You have already welcomed 1,200 uh, brand new people to the crossing this year. You've done that. Yeah, whether it's in the parking lot, whether it's in a golf cart, whether it's at a door, whether it's in serving communion, you have been making it possible for people to find Jesus Christ here and try him out and see what church is like. To those of you who are part of the orange and blue army that served the uh, kids all the way to eighth grade, you minister to over 1,500 kids every single week. I don't have the, yeah, isn't that incredible? I don't have time to tell you all the stats about everything that's happening in our uh, in our food pantry, in our camp, in our tech ministry, in our uh, production staff, in our worship team, in our facilities, those of you who are part of our office support, those of you who are life group leaders, and so many others. I just want to say thank you. And God bless you for that. Because you're making a difference. There are over 2,000 of you in our church who serve on a regular basis with 1,000 people serving every single weekend. Unbelievable. You make ministry happen in 28 services across 11 locations in three states. Last Friday, I was bored in the morning, and instead of vacuuming I, um, and folding laundry, this stuff I normally do uh, around the house, I, uh, 
I got on and I tried to figure out what is the service area of the crossing. And I just thought you guys might like this. The service area of the crossing is over 10,000 square miles. That is larger than nine states. The three smallest states combined. And you guys are making that happen. Now you might be going, Clayton, why are you preaching this message? I'll tell you, it's because I'm commanded to. I'm commanded to do this. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter four. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of, at all of our locations, help me out, service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. That we have a responsibility to help people step into their God-ordained calling, to leverage the gifts that God has given them to strengthen the church and accomplish the mission of Christ. But I think so many of us find ourselves believing lies. And I'm just gonna run through a bunch of them. If you're taking notes, they should be uh, easy to write down. Here's lie number one that Satan may have told you. You don't have a gift. Everybody else may have a gift, but you don't have a gift. Nothing could be further from the truth. When you were baptized into Christ, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit and you were made into, into a new creation. This new creation is in Christ is endowed with gifts from God himself. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter two. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. To say that you don't have a gift is to say that God messed up. And I'm not telling him that, right? That God made a mistake, that somehow you made it out of the spiritual factory defective. The truth is the very opposite. You have a gift, a God-inspired, Jesus-bought, Holy, Holy Spirit-infused gift, more powerful and transformative than you can possibly imagine. It's inside of you. And the best way Satan can combat that kind of power, that kind of gifting, is to convince you that you don't have it. So you don't use it reducing you to the best that never was. I know some of you right now, you're going, that sounds good for some of the people I've seen at this church. They really do. They're just unbelievably gifted people. Their gifts are special and amazing to behold, but my gift is nowhere near as significant as theirs. You're thinking this because you believe Satan's second lie. His second lie is my gift is not significant. You've succumbed to the belief that you received the bargain brand discount store gifting. You see everybody else's gift is Banana Republic and yours is Old Navy, right? Other people received Walt Disney World level gifts and you got parking lot carnival gifting, right? You go to Dollar Tree to pick up the kind of gifts that you got. I get it, I get it. But listen to me, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just 
as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Can you imagine the foot getting frustrated? Everybody's always eating with their hands. Nobody eats with their feet anymore, right? Hey, I'm not a part, I don't have, I don't matter. Everybody else is, you know, when people get uh, proposed to, they're putting the ring on the hands. They never put the ring on the foot. Foot gets frustrated, says, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm insignificant, right? You can see this happening. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. When was the last time your ears got a compliment? Single guys, if you want to stay single, go up to a pretty girl this weekend and go, you have the most beautiful ears, right? <laughs> nobody, nobody runs that play, and for good measure, right? <laughs> now listen, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, odd, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, check this out, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. I'm gonna unpack that one in just a little bit. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Here's what I'm trying to say. Your gift is significant and special because it is vital to the health of the body. It may look different than the apostle's gift. It may look different than your spouse's gift. It may look different than your friend's gift, but it is still vital. When you don't leverage your gift in service to Christ the church, is not all that it is supposed to be. Something is missing. An important piece is gone. A piece that God created, that God ordained, and that God commissioned is missing. And when you don't leverage your gift because you don't think it matters, it makes for an out of focus, pixelated picture of Jesus to a world that is watching. Your gift is significant. Now, some of you listening to me right now you have the opposite problem. It's not that you think your gift is insignificant, it's that you think your gift is too special and too significant. You're a person who you've said, wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody was just like me? My wife just went, mm, I married one of those guys, okay? <laughs> be cool, be cool, I'm working on it. Uh, lie number three is from Satan is that my gift is the greatest gift. It's not the evil of envy that we wage war against, but the evil of pride. We expect others to have our gift, respect our gift, and give preference to our gifts. Our excellence at justice leaves little patience for those whose, grace is get, or whose gift is grace, and vice versa. Our love for kids has no tolerance for those who don't serve in the kids' area. 
forgetting that other people have decided to serve God through foster care and not just serve on the weekends, but serve seven days a week. Your gift of manual service disregards those whose gift is counseling, teaching, leading, and coalescing. You tend to think that you don't need the other gifts, but the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Agrippa told this fable one time that the parts of the body each had discovered their own voice and they were having a conversation with one another and they became frustrated with the belly. We've all been frustrated with the belly, am I right? At all of our locations, you can, you can sympathize with that. The feet were saying, I'm tired of walking to the food. And the hand said, I'm tired of picking up the food. And the mouth said, I'm tired of receiving the food. And the teeth said, I'm tired of grinding the food all for the belly's benefit. It does nothing all day, but just receive all the hard work and toil from us. So they conspired. And the feet said, I will no longer walk to the food. And the hand said, I'll no longer pick the food. And the mouth said, I'll no longer receive the food. And the teeth said, I'll no longer grind the food. To punish the belly and to bring it into submission. Only to find out later on that not only was the body or the, the belly malnourished, but so was every part of the body. They had no more punished the belly than they had punished themselves and that it came to this reality that the belly was no more nourished than it nourished everyone else, that each part has a piece to play. And those of you who think that your gift is the greatest gift, you need to understand that there are other gifts that are supporting your gift to make your influence or to make your gift more special and more powerful. Each gift is like the body and it is critical to the function of the other gifts. Here's some of you right now, you're, you're excited that someone's finally acknowledging that you have a gift and that it exists. You're like, man, thank God, this is the weekend I was supposed to be here. For a long time, you've been wanting someone to notice, someone to appreciate it, someone to say thank you for leveraging it. You've fallen victim, maybe, if you're not careful, to Satan's fourth lie. I need everybody to take a deep breath, make up your mind that you like me before I say this next part, because I'm gonna remind you of it. Here's Satan's fourth lie. You should be thanked for serving. We good, everybody all right? Check yourself, okay, real quick. I know this sounds controversial, uh, that's because it is, but let me be clear. I hope that this church at all of our locations, all of our staff and others in our church, thank you for your service. And thank you for leveraging your gifts. It is right and honorable to do so, hear me. However, if your service is based on the acknowledgement and appreciation of others. You have a misguided understanding of your gift. This is what it says in Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the, help me out, Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Your gift is in service to God. When you wait for a thanks from someone else for your validation, you are putting that person in the place of God. You tell me who you would want on your team. 
Somebody who always wants thanked for serving or someone who says thanks for the opportunity to serve. What would it say about me if I came up here and my attitude was, you should all be thanking me for preaching to you today? Or if my attitude is, thanks for letting me preach. Who would you want on your team? And I get it, man, we all wanna be recognized and we all wanna be noticed and we all want and need to be encouraged. I'm not saying that those things aren't valuable. But listen to me, one of these demonstrates pride and the other emits humility. God sees what you do. He sees your hard work and your perseverance and your dedication. And don't think for a minute that he will not richly bless you in this life and in the life to come for the incredible things that you do. But to quit serving God because someone didn't thank you for serving God is nothing but a shell game from the devil. Some of you, you may have been hurt in service at other churches and you've come to the crossing and the word that you like to use is heal. We're just healing. We moved to town, we found this church, we love it. We were crazy involved at our last church, but we just need to, we need to heal. And listen, I, it's a cool word, love it, great, it's catchy. Uh, gets a lot of sympathy, empathy, it's good. But I, I wanna be careful that uh, you hear me when I say this, uh, Satan's fifth lie is that healing means doing nothing. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that story only to never see that person ever start serving. They were rock star leaders at another church. They moved to our town, joined our church, and have put themselves on the injured reserve list indefinitely. You may need to take a break from leading, but not from serving. Every athlete knows that you will never get better staying on the bench. You get physical therapy, you go to the gym, you gradually increase the weights. Paul tells Timothy not to neglect the gift that was given to him. He goes on in the second letter to Timothy and says, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. For the spirit of God did not make us timid, but gives us power. You see, you don't do ministry and you don't do service on your own strength. You might need a breather, but the spirit doesn't. You might be tired, but the Holy Spirit isn't. You might be done, but the Spirit isn't. You might be done with God, but I got a newsflash for you. God is not done with you. And I know that when God heals, he heals. And some of you just been putting yourself out there going, man, I don't even experience God anymore. It's because it does not require God to sit and watch. You experience God, you feel God when you are doing something that requires his presence. I know there's some of you listening to my message right now all across this region and online that have never stepped into service. You've been uh, watching for a really long time and we're glad you're here and I hope you guys keep coming. But I'm gonna say this next part and I wanna say it gently. Um, we know it's possible to serve and not be a Christian, right? We have that happen all the time. We have people who serve in the worship team who find Jesus while leading other people in worship. We have people who greet at the doors, who they greet at the doors for a long time and they, some, they keep listening to messages and eventually fall in love with Jesus. You can serve uh, Jesus and not be a Christian. But I got a question for you. Can you be a Christian and not serve? I'm not gonna answer that question because I'm not the judge. I don't sit in that seat, thank God. 
okay? But let me ask you this question. I mean, can you be married and never live in the same house with your wife? Well, yeah, technically. But I think we'd all admit it's a little weird, right? I mean, you can be a dad and never ever see your kids. But we'd all admit that, that there's something that's just not right. To say that you're a Christian and to not serve is at the very least weird. The sixth lie I think Satan tells us is that serving is optional for Christians. All right, quick story. I don't even wanna tell you this story. It's embarrassing. Because, all right. Have, how many of you guys have ever seen CrossFit? Yeah, okay. Psychotic people. <laughs> Just deranged. So a, a while back, I, I, I was in Macomb and I came home from church and I sat down to eat a post-church meal, which is usually a Jack's pizza and uh, a whole one. Yeah, okay. I've got to get my calories in. And I, uh, I turn on Netflix and I find a documentary about CrossFit. And there is a guy on there who used to be a part of our church in Macomb. And he's now a part of our church here in Quincy. He's on the documentary. And I'm watching this. And it is amazing. These people just do these insane workouts. Like normal people lift a weight. A CrossFitter uh, lifts a weight, goes for a run, comes back and figures out how to like stand on their head and hold it with their toes. That's what a CrossFitter is. And I'm watching this and I'm intrigued and I finish the pizza and there's still plenty of time. And so I get uh, a bowl, a couple bowls of Fruit Loops and I keep, and I am, this is amazing. I love it. I get done with that. The show's still on, I'm still hungry. I get some ice cream and I ate it. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I fell in love with CrossFit. Uh, I did, I, I, it's amazing. And uh, one of my favorite things to do, and I've done this for the last like three or four years, kid you not, I'll pull up CrossFit uh, exercises and workouts and games on, my, on YouTube and I'll eat while I watch it. <laughs> these, these people are just squatting stuff and I'm like, ah, oh, oh yeah man, go. Go faster, they're good, okay? So four weeks ago, I was invited to a CrossFit workout. Oh dear God, okay? There's people doing handstands over there. A lot of them go to our church. None of, I mean, listen, nobody from that that I is gonna keep coming to our church now that I'm there because they look like I'm nearly dying. All Like Jesus is performing a resurrection every workout. Okay, uh, they were doing burpees the other day. Do you guys remember the burpee sermon? That was a CrossFitter. Now I'm having to do burpees. And do you know what happens when your arms get tired of catching you when you're going down? You start catching your burpees with your nose, okay? It hurts so, I only go one day a week, that's it. And it takes me till I go on Fridays. And Thursday is the first day that I feel okay. I have to do what I call the porcelain, I mean, we're like, you have to psych yourself up to put on deodorant. You get ready to brush your teeth and you just move your neck. <laughs> you have to do what I call the porcelain trust fall, which is like your legs are good till about three inches above the toilet and then you have nothing left. <laughs> okay, are you tracking with me? Listen, everybody's like, oh yeah, I get it now. That's where I've been for four weeks. Yesterday was the first day I safely went to the restroom, okay? <laughs> Here's what's happening. I will not call myself a CrossFitter 
out of respect for the people who are legit, okay? I, I'm like, I get it. I, and I know that it's scary and daunting to start CrossFit, but you start somewhere. And I know for some of you, it's scary to think about serving. It seems too big, too tough, too, but you just start and you see what happens over time and how God comes alongside of you and encourages you and leverages you. It is part of who we are as Christians. Matthew chapter 20 says, Jesus called them in together and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. And said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus modeled serving. He came to serve, to seek and save that which was lost, to join God in the mission of God. And you and I have the opportunity to do it as well. And it cost Jesus dearly. And may it never be said of the people of the crossing that our love for God never cost us that we would never stand in the shadow of a bloodstained cross saved by Jesus' service to God and not join him with our whole being in his mission. After World War II, a group of German students volunteered to help rebuild an English cathedral that had been damaged by German bombs. As the work progressed, they became concerned about a large statue of Jesus whose arms were outstretched and beneath the inscription said, come unto me. They had particular difficulty trying to restore the hands, which had been completely destroyed. So after much discussion, they decided to leave the hands remaining missing and change the inscription to, Christ has no hands but ours. Some of you might be saying, in light of the magnitude of the mission, that you don't have much to offer, but that is one of Satan's biggest lies. Lie number seven is, my gift is too small that it won't make a difference. You need to hear me in many ways, Satan is right. Our gifts are too small and the mission is too big, but it is not about how much you have to offer, but who you offer your gift to that matters. A basketball in my hands is worth about $30, but in the hands of LeBron James, it's worth championships and millions. A knife in my hand is worth about $25, but in the hands of Gordon Ramsay, it can feed thousands, save restaurants, and garner worldwide acclaim. A video camera in my hand is worth about $300 and a couple of YouTube videos. But in the hands of James Cameron, you get the Terminator, Titanic, and Avatar. Because when you take your gift and you place it in the hands of Jesus, everything changes. Because when nets get let down in the water at his command, the catch of fish is so numerous, the nets begin to break. When a sack lunch is placed in the hands of Jesus, he can feed 5,000 and have more left over than when he started. When you put a shriveled hands in the hands of Jesus, they receive back their strength. When you place a dead child in his hands, they're brought back to life. Your gift is not too small because your God is too big, is what I'm trying to say. Some of you, you've got a different excuse and I didn't have time for all of them today. Some of you might say you're old. Well, Abraham was old. Some of you say, I've got mental challenges. Listen, Elijah was suicidal. Some of you say, but I was abused as a kid. So was Joseph. Some of you have a speech problem or you're a murderer. We've got those. Moses had a speech problem and he was a murderer. Some of you are like, I'm afraid. Well, so was Gideon. Some of you say, I'm a womanizer. So was Samson. Some of you say, I used to be a prostitute. 
So was Rahab. Some of you say, I've been divorced multiple times. So was the Samaritan woman. Some of you'd say, but I'm a drunk. So was Noah. Some of you'd say, man, I'm an adulterer. So was David. Some of you'd say, I've ran from God. So did Jonah. Some of you'd say, but I'm a widow. So was Naomi. Some of you'd say, but I've denied Christ. So did Peter. Some of you'd say, I'm a warrior. So was Martha. Some of you'd say, I'm short and money hungry. So was Zacchaeus. And Paul was a terrorist. Listen to me. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I don't want to sit on the bleachers. I don't know about you, but I want the ball. I want to make a difference. I want my life to count. I want my life to matter both now and in eternity. And I wonder, is there anybody at any of our locations that's with me? Crossing Church, when you're tired and when you're worn out, I pray that nobody gets to escort you to the bleachers because you don't want the bleachers. What do you want? You want the ball. When the opposition is too big, too fast, too strong, too daunting, don't escort me to the sideline. I don't want the bleachers. I want the, I want the ball. When Satan comes knocking saying, I can't, God won't, and it will fail, don't give me a blanket, don't order me a snack, don't you put me back on the field, you call the play to my side of the line and you watch us work. Because we don't want the bleachers. We want the ball. Don't tell me thanks, I mean you can if you want to, but I'm not doing this for you, I'm doing this with you. I don't want the bleachers, I want the ball. I'll cover, I'll block, I'll tackle, I'll run. Just don't put me on the bleachers. I want the ball because the mission's too great, my purpose made clear, my calling too significant, and my savior too extravagant, and my God is too big. And when my life is over, and when your life is over, I hope we have nothing left in the tank, that we enter heaven out of breath, winded, beat up, and bruised, with a smile on our face, that Satan could never wipe away, and a joy in our spirit that Satan could never crush, because we wanna be difference makers, because difference makers make a difference. I got a question for you, Crossing Church. Do you want the bleachers, or do you want the ball? We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.